Hello and welcome to the Flex. It's Matt St. Jean here with Joe Howie bringing you coverage for the first place in the Big East, Providence Friars, the 5 and 0 in the Big East, Providence Friars, the uh eight game win streak. Providence Friars fresh off a big win over Yukon last night. How you feeling, Joe? Matt, I was at the game. My throat is killing me from the amount of screaming that happened in the amp last night. But let me tell you, I've been to a lot of Providence games in the past couple of years. And in terms of atmosphere alone, last night's game is up towards the top. It's got to be top two or top three. That was an incredible atmosphere, an incredible game, and just Wow, what a, what a, a statement win from Ed Cooley in this squad. Incredible. We're going to be breaking it all down in this episode and looking ahead to another home game on Saturday against St. John's. They get the noon slate there. A couple reminders here before we get into it. First, we've teamed up with SeatGeek this season to get you the best deals for tickets to your favorite teams. SeatGeek takes the confusion out of buying tickets, and they're here to give you some great deals. Get in on the fun and head over to SeatGeek, download their app, and use code NCAA Hoops Digest for $20 off your first purchase. If you're looking for tickets to that game on Saturday, you saw how fun it looked last night, and you want to get in on it, use that code. Go treat yourself. Get yourself tickets. Um, and another reminder, this podcast is presented by House Enterprise and in partnership with House of College Hoops. Head over to our site, house-enterprise.com, for more thanks for those two ad reads matt i'm gonna plug one more thing here if you haven't seen it already we have a new shirt on the house dash enterprise store the amp where ranked teams come to die with a nice little logo of friar dom at the bottom if you don't believe it and you didn't believe it hopefully last night proved it to you that yes the amico mutual pavilion the dunkin donut center the providence civic center whatever you want to call that building that is where ranked teams come to die head to house dash enterprise.com get the shirt rep it at the amp you got to do it now. You know, if if you're an avid listener of this podcast or you're just an avid Providence fan in general, that t-shirt needs to be in your closet or your wardrobe. What be it? Go buy the shirt. Yeah. This is two ranked teams. Now this season, both of them that have come into the building, the Friars have beaten the only other big East team ranked at the moment is Xavier. They won't see, they won't see the Musketeers until the last week of the regular season. So we'll have to wait a little bit on that opportunity. We'll see who else gets ranked here in the meantime. I suspect we're going to see the Friars ranked when the polls come out next week, barring something unexpected on Saturday. The Friars are going to be up there after this win. Uh, 73-61, Providence win against UConn. First game against them in that building since, I believe, 2013. 2012, almost almost a full. Was it 2012? All right. I think so. Um, something in that range. So around a decade here, and um, I think – Kind of the first thing that stood out to me about this game was just how long they led and kind of controlled the game. It seemed like they kind of took it over there in the first half, and that was about it. They won, they led for 22 minutes, led for over 56% of the game. UConn's last lead was when it was 28 27 in the first half. The Friars took over and never looked back. And that's incredible to do it against a team that's quite frankly as good as this UConn team is. Yeah, Matt, I was really impressed with our, you know, composure with the lead, especially against a team like UConn, you know, and not to mention this is a UConn team that's just coming off of a double-digit loss at Xavier. So uh, I was definitely impressed and a little surprised by our ability to hold that lead. Um, 
like you said, you know, the first half or most of the first half was kind of back and forth with UConn taking seven to five point five to seven point leads for a majority of it. But then, man, that Corey Floyd three pointer at the end of the shot clock, that was a, a big middle finger to Dan Hurley and the Huskies. And, and, you know, that was the big momentum shift, in my opinion. You know, that was when <laughs> the crowd that was already into it got even more into it. That was when, you know, the, the the players got into it. Cooley was getting the fans revved up. That was the, the the big momentum swing and the turning point of the first half. And like you said, the Friars didn't look back after that. Yeah, they took control. That was, I think there were a couple of really big moments that stood out from this one. And that that's the first one that jumps out. Uh, Jared Bynum had an, an abdominal injury there about halfway through the first half. And so Ed Cooley had to go deep into the bench with the guards and rely on guys to give him good minutes. Uh, I wouldn't say this was identical to like Bryson Goodine, given the Friars a good <laughs> game last year. But I think there's a similar, I mean, I think Corey Foy showed more in this one game than we'd seen from Bryson Goodine the entire time he was in Friartown. Yeah. But I did think like that was, that was a, a very impressive performance from Floyd in that situation. No, I agree. And I think in the second half, too, you saw Floyd really locked in defensively. Um, I'm sure, you know, he had a chip on his shoulder. He This was a game circled on his calendar um, just for personal reasons. He used to play at UConn. But no, you're absolutely right. You know, it wasn't the Bryson Goodine coming in and not really doing anything except for that one game where he had 12 points off of a bunch of made threes. This was this was like a solid defensive game from Corey Floyd that was highlighted by that monstrous three um really good depth off the bench from him i thought pierre gave some good minutes as well you know like you said with bynum out pierre is really the only other true true point guard that's received significant playing time this season so i thought he had some good minutes as well but you got to keep in mind this is a big moment for two guys that have not played in that moment before and i thought given the circumstances they lived up to the moment just fine yeah i did not think we were going to see any Corey floyd in this one um, and that's why I don't, we didn't really touch on that as a storyline. This is the first intra conference Big East transfer getting minutes against his old team. And we kind of figured, well, he's what, 10th guy in the rotation right now, ninth or 10th, depending on where you put Castro in there. He's yeah. not going to, he's just not going to get minutes in a game like this. And the situation demanded it and he rose to it. Um, I want to, I, I think we should just walk through this game kind of from start to finish here. Yeah. Because I, I just, the first, four minutes, eight minutes, first couple of media timeouts there. And the way that they settled into the game, I thought was really impressive in the way that they hung with UConn. I thought the defense set the tone early. I, I think so too. And I think you can look at really like the first couple of minutes there, UConn takes a 7-2 lead. And, you know, I think Friars teams of the past will get into a bigger hole than that. But, you know, a couple of made field goals and uh, I think it was a Devin Carter three later and the, the ball game's tied 7-7. And I think you have to credit the defense for holding UConn there too. Cause then after that, it was punch counter punch. And like you said, the defense, uh, you know, I, th- I think especially in the paint, what we did on Adama Sonogo and Donovan Klingon was huge because especially, I mean, not jumping ahead here, but you look at the second half, Sonogo didn't score. And that's a credit to Ed Croswell, who we'll talk about in a little bit, but also Clifton Moore, who I thought gave some really meaningful minutes off the bench too. But and I think, obviously, yeah, yeah. I think that the defensive tone was set in the first half and you answered that seven, two run. And that was the, that was the, that was what set the tone right there and put the foundation in place for what we saw the rest of the game. Yeah. And I think what stood out right off the bat was it seemed like the game plan was going to be just to deny um, 
deny anything going inside, deny anything to Snogo, make his life hell even trying to get the basketball. I thought they executed that incredibly well, and you forced UConn to take those threes, which they're they're not a bad three-point shooting team. But I think on the road here is where they're having the issues because this is back-to-back games now where they've chucked up threes and they haven't hit them. They said, had Cooley said, we're gonna we're gonna dare you to take those shots instead yeah. of getting inside on us. Um, you mentioned those two guys defensively. I know we're gonna talk about Bryce Hopkins on offense. I thought mm-hmm. Hopkins was excellent defensively. There were points where he was matched up with Klingon and Sonogo, and like he saw yep. everybody on UConn. Didn't shy down from a single matchup. It just he made it so hard. Like he he is not gonna do anything against Donovan Klingon if Klingon has the basketball and can face up. Yeah. So he uh, just did everything he could to prevent that from happening. Right. And I think, you know, what stood out to me is when you look at the way Hopkins was guarding those two guys, uh, Sonogo and Klingon, he wasn't, you know, between them in the basket. And I think one of the principles of guarding in the post is you got to be between your man in the basket. Instead, he was facing them, just trying to prevent any sort of entry pass with his arm up. And I thought that was a fantastic, fantastic matchup decision by the coaching staff to have them guard like that. Because if you put, if you have Adama Sonogo backing into you into the hoop, chances are he's going to get that layup. He's a big, strong man. He's preseason player of the year for a reason. Donovan Klingon is seven foot two, two sixty five. If you are between him and the basket, he's just going to hook right over you. But instead, what Hopkins and Croswell really were doing is you were denying those entry passes. You were in front of your man, which is what they don't teach you in basketball one on one, one on one. So I think that was a great adjustment and a great defensive game plan for our bigs. Yeah. And the, the other part of that that you need to make that successful is you need good defensive guards because if that happens. You can have guys getting sealed off and guys driving to the basket and you can get taken advantage of with the pick and roll about yep. high. And this is that's an issue. That's an area where the Friars have had an issue defending the three point line this year. And they did an admirable job. UConn still yeah. got some good looks at points and that didn't fall. But it was it was hard work to get them. I thought you know, who stood out to me on defense. It's we're gonna talk about like Alan Breed and Corey Floyd and guys like that who played well. Noah Locke, I think, yeah, had I maybe his best defensive game in Providence. I mean, hell, Noah Locke had his best all around game in the Providence uniform last night. But I think you're right, Matt. Noah Locke was second on the team in minutes with 34, and I think that speaks volumes too, especially given you know the usage that we've seen out of him over the Big East play so far. He's kind of hot in the beginning. He'll he'll stay in the game, but. This was the most complete defensive offensive game that Noah Locke has produced. And you're right. The defense was pleasantly surprising out of him. I thought he did a great job. Yeah, jumping, getting in the way balls. Uh, I will say it's – I know we've had issues with especially Donnie, Donnie Marshall on the call for these games. I actually thought he did a really good job calling this. I thought the broadcast team in general did. They got some of the details wrong. They definitely got like names and stuff wrong, but they, both of the guys had brought energy and knew a lot of the defensive stuff. And this was a defensive battle for most of the night. And they did a really good job of pointing out the good plays that people were making and talking about deflections, guys getting their hands on balls. And I think we saw every Friar who played, get their hand on a ball somewhere on defense. That's what it felt like. Yeah, no, I I think you're right. Um, I actually, I didn't, I was at the game, so I didn't hear uh, the the commentators, but I'll take your word on it. Um, I like to tease because Donnie Marshall is typically that <laughs> you the UConn homer, and, and uh, but no, I I think you're right, you know. And I think when you look at what the the way the game unfolded, just by, on the eye test alone, you can't look at that game and think, wow, this isn't a defensive slugfest. I mean, it just from start to finish, UConn was held to their lowest point total of the season. 
I, I, that was impressive. That was a, a, a good old fashioned Big East rock fight. That's the way Dave Gavitt would have wanted it, just like that. Yeah. Yeah. And this is look at the, the defense of the Friars just right now and the way that they have locked in recently 61 points to UConn, 59 to DePaul, 52 to Butler. Ever since that game against Marquette, where things were rough, they have <laughs> turned it around. Um, and that's after Christmas there. Uh, before we keep going, we got a, we got a commenter here. Mr. Uh, Kevin Troy coming in. We had somebody come in and set an over-under for Tall Boys for last night. So Kev's asking, did we hit it? Um, I had one at home. So um, did, you, this, did you have 11 then? No, this is going to be a really anticlimactic answer. I did not. I had zero alcoholic beverages at the game. Um, I actually had a bottle of water. Um, so there were two uh, UConn fans in our section, three UConn fans in our section, and they were uh, being very um, aggressive with their chirping. And I wanted to have my wits about me. Um, and also I had lost my voice after the first 15 minutes of the game. So I bought a bottle of water at halftime um, and I had to work today. I knew I was going to be home late last night. So I didn't want to add any additional um stress or exhaustion <laughs> to my day today so i did not consume any tall boys is the long answer no joe i joe i think we're growing up right now is this what this is is this what it feels like <laughs> this is called trying to act like a college student at 24 years old almost 25 <laughs> years old yeah oh my goodness well thank you for the question there kev um yeah i always appreciate him listening yeah love um, kev but love kev back to the game here so we talked about the defense there in the first half, keeping them in it. The offense, I think, also did like just enough. It's the offense. I, I it wasn't great, but it's a UConn defense that's really, really, really good. I was impressed by the defense, and I think they did a really good mix of forcing UConn into situations where they'd have to foul, knowing that this is a UConn team that fouls like crazy. Uh, yeah. By the way, I just I looked up this number. UConn sends their opponents to the line more than 21 times per game on average. I, I mean, I believe it. I We saw it last night. Um, and someone on Twitter tweeted this before. If you're listening, I forget what your handle is, and you, I'm going to give you credit, <laughs> even though I don't know who you are. The way UConn guards is they swat and they look for blocks. And I think that leads to a lot of foul calls versus on the other end, PC guys, Friars, try to wall up and keep their arms straight up. Not Now, eight times out of ten, that's going to work. The other two times they're going to call you for the body foul. But I think when you try and swat and you try and go for blocks, that's when you get foul calls. So it makes sense. You know, the eye test definitely matches that analysis. But you're right, Matt. UConn fouls a lot. And yeah. I'll, tell you, I'll tell you, if, you know, Dan Hurley doesn't like the officiating calls are, are, are called on UConn, the fan base absolutely matches as well because the UConn fans that were at the amp last night, and uh, trust me, there were a lot of them there, did not like the foul calls. Not not one. No. no. To be fair, I don't think there's a single fan that's ever liked a call that's gone against their team. But, but yeah. It, you, you, oh, Hawkins could have wound up and punched Bynum in the face, <laughs> and they would have been like, no, that's on Bynum. Like, that was clean. That was clean. It was just a little shove. <laughs> It's a block, not a charge. 
Yeah, I just I actually just checked the number. That was the number I was citing from last night uh, before the, the sports reference page got updated. So it's up to over 22 free throws allowed <laughs> by this UConn defense now. And it's, I, I agree wholeheartedly. They look for a lot of steals and swipe a lot. I think they also just play aggressive on-ball defense. They will come out really far no. away from the basket and guard you all the way in. And that's just more time for contact to happen, more time to get beaten by a half step. Uh, I think no. – the other issue we've seen with the Friars, when they don't guard well, they aren't close enough to foul you. <laughs> like they'll just leave guys open. And <laughs> yeah. UConn's UConn's never doing that. They're too good at defense to do that. No, so I thought but... I thought I thought the Friars passed well into looks that would force UConn to foul and draw that and just get to the line because they weren't getting separation. Yeah. No, I, I think you're right. And the first, you know, 15 minutes of the game, we did look a little bit uncomfortable with UConn's tight defense. The on ball pressure was really, really good by the Huskies. And I think, you know, it kind of dissipated a little bit in the second half as they became a little bit more frantic defensively. But in the first half, you really saw it. You had like guys were in buying them shorts, basically, every time he had the basketball at the top of the key. And then it got worse once he came out too. the Friars had a stretch there where they were just trying to figure out how they were going to generate any kind of offense. And uh, there were there were long stretches where I wasn't sure how the Friars were going to get the ball inside the three point arc. Yeah, they, they went. I think the first possession of the game. I don't think they ever got it inside the arc, if I'm remembering correctly. First or second possession, one of those. And yeah. I'll credit the UConn defense there. It's For a lot of the first half, it felt like a game that UConn was outplaying Providence and the Friars were just hanging around and Andre Jackson was fouled. And I was kind of concerned, all right, Andre Jackson's going to come back and UConn's going to yeah. lead a charge. And that's where I think the Providence, uh, you get the run right there at the end of the first half and the way they played in the second half to just make shots and put UConn away was incredibly impressive. Probably the, the biggest accomplishment we've seen from the team this year. Yeah, and I think your point that you brought up before, Matt, that this wasn't the best offensive performance by the Friars is definitely well taken. We only shot 36% from the field, but I, our offense did enough to match what our defense was doing to UConn, and I think that was the recipe for success last night. Obviously, you're not going to blow teams out by 20 each and every night, especially when you're, not, when you're playing the – fourth ranked team in the country but if your offense can do enough to keep up with your defense you're going to be successful and i think last night is the epitome of that statement exactly and that's uh the defense rose to meet the occasion that is absolutely yeah. for sure uh, with the way it looked it looked kind of sketchy at points like it looked bad against marquette and the opponents since then before uconn hadn't really well i think i don't think we were sure if it was just the opponent or the defense getting better i think now we know it's the defense, and yeah, let's. I, we've spent too long on this podcast without talking about Bryce Hopkins. Yeah, in what he into... ended up doing, because yeah. he was he was the only thing on offense that was consistently working in the first half. He worked all all day long. Twenty seven points for him. He only made four two pointers. He was four of ten inside the arc. He knocked down both of his three point attempts. He was thirteen of fifteen from the free throw line. And then five rebounds, only one turnover. He had a block in there. And it just, he was, I, I think the way that he changed the game here was UConn did not have somebody who could guard him. Yep. And that meant they had to sacrifice offense to put somebody out there who could guard him. The, the, the point in the game when I think I realized that Danny Hurley was sweating was when they put Adama Sonogo on Bryce Hopkins and the next offensive possession, Cooley calls ISO for Hopkins on Sonogo and Hopkins take him, takes him to the rack and gets fouled. 
I think that was the the turning point in the game where everyone kind of realized like Hurley doesn't have an answer for Hawkins uh, for Hopkins because I think it was Caravan that was on him for most of the first oh, half there and rough. Hopkins was had a clear mismatch. My dad likes to say mouse in the house like like <laughs> when it's like a big guy on like a mouse like that's what it was like and you you could just see Hurley's like his brain's churning. He's trying to figure it out. You put Adama Sonogo on him. He's going to take him right to the rack too. So I think that was the point in the game when, you know, you realize Hopkins is going to take over and you're right. A lot of his points didn't even come from the field. They came from the free throw line. But again, that's the, when you get fouled, chances are, you know, you're going to miss that shot. So and it makes sense. And UConn right now does not have an athletic enough guy at the four to stay in front of him when he drives. That was the issue. They couldn't stay in front of him. And he was drawing contact every single time because of that and getting to the line. And so, I mean, I think if Hopkins, that's where it's crazy that I think Hopkins can take it to the next level because I still think he can finish some of those looks through the contact yeah. and all that. And that's where it's like, this will go from 27 to 35 at some yeah. point. And that's going to happen against one of these teams. But yeah, there's Ryan Cassidy uh, for Road to the Garden with us. He put up a video, I think last night or this morning with uh, just Hopkins highlights. And like yeah. in the first half, like every single one of them is him just taking Caravan to the hole over and yeah. over and over again. And uh, I will say he did get called for that charge in the second half. And they actually talked about it on the broadcast in the first half because Caravan got called for a block on that same thing earlier. Mm-hmm. And they, Daniel Marshall made a, a good call in that. He was saying, hey, that's actually a charge if Caravan takes it and makes it a charge instead of just bouncing yeah. off the contact, which yeah. to his credit, he did. That's. that's- that's where Hopkins probably needs to dial it down from like 10 to an eight. So he doesn't yeah. get called for that, but it didn't cost you anyway. When, um, when that, that, when that call was called, obviously Cooley got excited. Um, and you, uh, you know, the whole fan base got excited. The whole arena got excited. You know, of course you don't want to see that call. Once the dust settled Cooley, you know, mouth to the bench. That was a good call. Like that was the right call. That was a foul. <laughs> and, you're right. It, it was the right call. Um, I think in the moment you don't want that call and you don't want, not only do you not want that call, you don't want anything that's going to shift the momentum. And no, it did. It didn't thankfully, but that's the, it looked like call it could that, have for a second. Ago. Right. Exactly. It looked like it was Hopkins is taking over. They're going to call a charge on him or they're going to call an offensive on him. Like, no, it didn't. It didn't and that was his it. fourth foul. Correct. It was his fourth foul, which is, that's where, there was that one stretch, and I think this was not the turning point. It, it was the it was the absence of a turning point here that's notable. So that bottom is out, and you get Hopkins with four fouls, and those are your top guard and top forward. And all right, UConn's within I don't know, it's like seven or eight points, I think, at that point with however much time was left. And you know Hopkins is going to ride the bench for a little bit here. That was the opportunity for UConn to try to get back into this one. And the Friars yeah. did a really, really good job of defending on the next couple of sequences. They got a couple of points. I think that's where that Ed Croswell run out and dunk came from. I yep. could be mistaken. I think it was in that sequence. No, and right. it just, it, tur- it turned. And the Friars took an even bigger lead there. And that was where it was, all right, well, this was UConn's opportunity. And they didn't do anything with it. This is where the play of Ed Croswell, Devin Carter, or Noah Locke, Alan Breed really comes into, into play here. Uh, that the, their play comes into play really bad word, word <laughs> choice, but whatever, this is where they, they really started to make a difference. Um, and I think something, you know, my girlfriend actually texted me this in the, mo- in the minute and I, in the moment I didn't realize is that 
we were beating UConn on every 50-50 ball. We were diving for every single loose ball, 50-50 ball, and we were winning them. We were just simply out-hustling UConn, and that was without Bynum, without Hopkins on the floor. And I think that starts with Devin Carter and the energy and the intensity that he brought to this game. He had, what was that, 11 points. Hold on, pulling up the box sheet. Carter had 11 points, four rebounds, a block, and a steal. And, you know, the, that doesn't even, the, the stat line doesn't even encompass the impact that he had on the game. You know, mm-hmm. fighting for loose balls, diving. I think probably the, the biggest thing that he did is he could have gone out in transition and dunked it, but I think he pulled back to, to kill clock with about three or less in the second half. I think that was a really, really smart play by him because you can go out and you can dunk it, but then UConn gets the ball back with a couple of minutes left. Instead, you wind down the clock, you start milking it, and then all of a sudden, you know, you score on that possession and UConn is running out of time. Yeah. Uh, speaking of that, uh, Devin Carter also had that absolutely ridiculous three-pointer where he could get <laughs> no separation from Andre Jackson and just had to put a shot up and nailed it. Yeah. Which that's, that's the other thing. UConn's got a good defense. If you want to beat this team, you're going to have to hit tough shots. Yeah, But that's going to be part of it. There's going to be – if you're only hitting the good shots, you're not going to score that often. So you have to have shot makers. And Devin Carter was a guy who was not a shot maker last year. And he no. has taken a step in that regard. I don't know if you're going to get that level of play from him for the rest of the season. But you don't need to. This was the one game where you needed that to beat this team. You don't need that to beat Butler or DePaul or Georgetown. Yeah. You don't need those. You don't need that type of thing. You need them to be able to flip that switch when there's a tight moment there. And I think that's the other thing that stood out. The Friars had guys who hit big, big, big shots in this game. And for yeah. the second game in a row here on the road, UConn missed every big shot that they needed. Yeah, I, I mean. <laughs> It got to a point where, um, and looking back, this probably isn't the best comment to make, but where I, you know, the UConn fans in my section are chirping, so I'm, I'm I decide I'm going to chirp back. <laughs> and every time UConn dialed up a three, I said, "Oh, please take it again, take another yep. one." And now that I, I'm at a level mindset, I realize that's probably not the best comment to make because if they hit one of those threes, which they are good at doing, minus the past two games, then you kind of look like a jackass. But in the moment last night, it worked and really chafed the fan base but you know the the point is true that UConn hasn't been able to hit threes in big moments in back-to-back games on the road um Matt I think this is a point you brought up on the road to the garden podcast and it's that you know UConn has been good in games where they're blowing teams out it's in these tighter contests that they're really starting to struggle and it's being put on full display nationally they're in a tight back and forth game with Xavier they lose by 10 they're in a tight back and forth game at Providence they lose by 12 I mean Really, the only tight game that they won was against Villanova. Yeah, and that Oklahoma State game got tight at a point, but not really. It was not. Yeah. It ended up as a 10-point game, but it wasn't close. The Georgetown game was close in the second okay. half there. I forgot about but that, that one. But that was at home. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the difference. Is This team is a little bit – UConn's different on the road. Yeah. I, yeah. And I think you, just, you look at the box score, and it's Tristan Newton who's a guy who I think can be an all-Big East guard if he plays up to it, six points, three of 11 from the field. Joey Calcaterra, who's been dynamite for them, goose egg, no points. Andre Jackson, just three points. He was 0 for 3 from deep. Uh, Naheem Aline, two points. Hassan Diara, a single point. That is that is the their backcourt outside of Hawkins. Yeah. Okay, they got 12 points out of all of those players without a single made three-pointer. Yeah. And that's a huge – I mean, those are good players. 
And part of that is that they've had these issues. The other part is that when the Friars defense stepped up to an unbelievable degree, I mean, Alan Breed was so good on defense. Uh, Everybody was. They switched everything perfectly. Forget defense. Alan Breed is the player from this game that isn't getting enough tension, attention. Um, and it's because, you know, his the numbers on the stat sheet don't really jump out at you when you look at Alan Breed. I think the best stat he has on there is five rebounds. But his composure with the basketball late in the game when Jared Bynum is out, that was huge. And and again, that's not a number that shows up on the box score on any sort of analytic, but the way he was able to compose himself and essentially run the point guard spot in the absence of your starting point guard and Jared Bynum, that's huge. And the fact that he was able to do that against the, this Connecticut backcourt is even bigger. So Alan Breed deserves a ton of credit for the the game that he put together 30 minutes off the bench. That, that was a really, that was a, a big boy performance from Alan Breed, major onions out of him. Yeah. And if, I mean, if I, if I told you, Coming into this game, Jared Bynum is going to get hurt partway through and not be able to complete the game. Bryce Hopkins is going to get himself into foul trouble. And uh, here's another thing. The Friars did not get any second chance points until the very end of the first half. There was a point in the first, I think at the end of the first half, UConn had 11 offensive rebounds and Providence had 10 defensive. Yeah. So the Friars were getting killed on the glass in the first half. Those guys go out and all that. If I told you that, you, you're going to assume we're losing this game by 10 to 15 points. Yep. And the fact that they gutted out a win anyway is a huge credit to the toughness of this team and the coaching of Ed Cooley. You know what actually surprised me, too, on, on the topic of rebounds? I didn't know Ed Croswell had a double-double. That was a very, very <laughs> sneaky double-double. I knew he was in double figures, and maybe it's just because the box score that they have at the amp on the big screen doesn't show rebounds and it shows fouls <laughs> instead. But I, I didn't know that he had 13 boards. That's really yeah. good. Yeah, he had eight of them on the defensive end, which I think that was the the biggest thing where the team really stepped up in the second half was just yeah. cutting down the the offensive rebound opportunities yeah. for for UConn at eleven in the first half, cut it down to eight in the second half, which is just enough. And they well, they cut down the second chance points there too, and that's that's all they needed to do. Like they they were really good at preventing extra opportunities on the stretch, really good at making the ones that they gave up hard to finish. And that was, that's what you need. I mean, Ed Croswell against Sonogo was as impressive as any of one of us could have expected. I mean, in our pregame show, Matt, you know, you and I both said that if Sonogo outscores Croswell and is better on the stat sheet, but Providence wins and Croswell holds his own, we'll consider that a win for Ed Croswell. And Croswell not only outperformed Sonogo, he outscored him, out-rebounded him, and Providence won. Like, we were down on Croswell in the pregame show, for lack of a better, you know, analysis here. And he outplayed the Big East preseason player of the year. And I know you already saw this, but if you watch the postgame press conference and you hear, you hear Ed Croswell's quote on Sonogo, he said, yeah, we made eye contact. And I told him, yeah, we got you. Like, Man, good good for Croswell. I, I love the chippiness. I I'll, yeah. I'll tell you. That's my 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 favorite little chippiness thing in this whole thing, the pettiest thing in the world. <laughs> After the game, Devin Carter goes and retweets the Yukon final score post and not the Providence one. Just hilarious stuff. <laughs> well, you know what though? I'll, I'll say this from a fan's perspective and like from a, a program perspective. If you're Yukon, 
and you wanna your fan base wants to run its mouth about how Providence game isn't a rivalry, but then the Yukon <laughs> the Yukon Twitter account tweets out a rivalry renewed. You're gonna make yourself you you make yourselves yeah. look like jackasses. Excuse my French, but you make yourselves look in a, a you you shed a light on yourselves that makes you look terrible after you lose by twelve to the team that's not your rival. Okay, well, and you said and you see what Dan Hurley said after he said the loss was embarrassing. Em- embarrassing is losing at home to Georgetown, which this team almost did. Right, losing this- losing a conference road game against a good team is not embarrassing. So, um, yeah, it's a very condescending from Dan Hurley. Dan Hurley is, and I was talking about this with my brother before, Dan Hurley is the new Steve Wojciechowski of the Big East Conference. UConn came back to the conference, and every team, all of the other teams, hate them. All of the other coaches hate Dan Hurley because he runs his mouth and he says comments like that. He's the biggest mental midget in the conference. I'm sorry. Get me on a Dan Hurley spiral, and I'll, and I'll just keep spewing. But a comment like that, Losing to a team that is receiving votes in the AP top 25 has shown significant improvement over the course of the past month is on a, a what is it now? Nine Oh eight Oh win streak and is undefeated in conference play. Losing on the road at that team's building is an embarrassing loss. Really? You held us yeah. to 36% from the field. Is that really embarrassing? No, you're just being a condescending prick in the post game press conference. Yeah. I just totally, totally uncalled for that. Yeah. Um, I know we're uh, we're getting a little bit short on time here. I got I got to run after this, so we'll we'll wrap up with a couple things on this, and then look ahead to the St. John's game yep, on Saturday. Friars moved up big time in Ken Palm with this one, which is huge. I want I just want to point out again here, the metrics like Providence more than the resume based stuff at this point because the Friars have a couple bad losses in there and a win against. Uh, some of the teams that they were beating in December there doesn't really register for the net. It does register when you crush Albany by like 40 points <laughs> like they did. That looks good in the metrics because you're playing good basketball. And that's where this team has shot up. They are uh, now, uh, they're up to 28 in the country. <laughs> at the start of December, where they tipped off against URI, they were at 81. Wow. That's, I, I've never seen the team move quite that fast that far. In Ken Palm, the way that they've turned it around is crazy. An eight-game win streak is currently the nation's seventh longest active win streak. They're up to the fifth for offensive rebounding percentage. This is now considered a top 25 offense in efficiency okay. and is 61st in defense. So just just a, a note here. There's, there's a, an old document that I've seen get passed around. Um, it's called the 12 factors that you need. I know. And it's, yep. It's factors that typically um, cha- NCAA tournament champions have. And one of the ones is that it's usually having a top 20 Ken Palm offense and a top 40 to 60 Ken Palm defense. Like it's, you have to be either top 20 offense, top 60 defense, or top 40 offense, top 40 defense, something along those lines. And this is, this team's really freaking good right now. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh. Um, Everything you said is correct. I'm looking at the Twitter stream right now, and I have it open on my phone. One of the comments is, last night, my four-year-old son was yelled at by UConn fans. <laughs> oh, man. That's just... Uh, oh, my goodness. Um, but, yes, I, y- yeah. you're you're right, Matt. The, the improvement that we've seen over the past month and change from this Friars team is incredible, and the statistics and the analytics like us... Um, 
like you said, we've taken a huge jump in Ken Palm. I think we're up in the net now too. We started at one fifty one. We're now at thirty three. Um, yep. And 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 again, you know, defensively, we're not where the Cooley teams have been historically, but I think we're holding our own at this point. Um, I mean, it's definitely improved since you know the Miami St. Louis skid back in November. So really, really good spot that we're in right now. Hopefully the momentum can keep rolling and this can translate to a couple of more wins and, you know, an AP ranking. Um, I think you're right that when you look at the AP poll, it doesn't always encompass all of the little nitty gritty things. A lot of it is, you know, voter bias or voter laziness or lack thereof. So I I think there's a lot of different things that you have to take into account when you evaluate a, a college basketball team. I also think the eye test is a big one, you know, taking things back a step analytically. And you look at the togetherness and the composure of the team. Let's look at that TCU loss. They did not look like a team there. They looked like a bunch of different pieces that were playing really different types of basketball. You look at, you know, the game after that and forward, and it's been a completely different, you know, output on the court. Yeah, here's here's something for you. I know when I've mentioned this before, so I, I had to check it again. Since December 1st, according to Bart Torvik, this is the sixth most efficient team in the country. Yeah. This team is playing, like, forget about being ranked. Providence right now is playing as well as anybody. There's, yeah. like, there's no, uh, they, they, I, I'm convinced right now, at least on the home floor, they could play with any team in the country. And yeah. for, to get to get to that point from where this team was in November is incredibly impressive. A testament to the coaching staff. And they get one more game. In this building here, coming up before another trip to the Midwest, they're going to head back out there next week. They get St. John's at home on Saturday at noon. This is a St. John's team that's in disarray. They they had a lead against Marquette at home and then completely blew it in the second half. Andre Curbelo was suspended. Apparently, snuck back into the press conference. It's I I don't know what's going on with this program right now. They they don't have a true road win this year. No. And you know what, Matt, I, I don't want to say this because it's it's factually incorrect, but I, I'm going to try and maneuver my way around it. They don't have a Big East win within the window of conference play. I know they beat yes. DePaul early on, but that was technically a week before conference play officially started where all of the teams were playing conference yeah. games. So, yes, on the stat sheet, they have a Big East win. But since Big East play officially tipped and all the teams were matched up against other Big East teams, St. John's does not have a win. And this was a St. John's team that was racking up non-conference wins against, you know, really insignificant teams. And, you know, I fell victim to it, too, is I was I had St. John's, you know, I was high on them just because of the win total alone. And, you know, I've completely debunked that, you know, point of view over the past couple of games just because of how terribly they're playing. And really, really bad stuff out of, you know, Queens. Um, And I think when I, when I watched that FS one all access game, you know, Mike Anderson just does not have any passion on the sidelines. Like except for just yelling, move, 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 move. You've got, you've got uh, Sean Miller cursing on, on national television and you've got, (laughs) you've got the, the, a repeating CD of Mike Anderson saying the same words. So, you know, I, Saturday is a game you can't lose. It's going to be a motivated St. John's team for sure. They lost four in a row, but yeah. right now, I mean, it's they have they only have one win um, outside of New York City this year, and that was against Florida State in the Orange Bowl Classic, whatever they call it, that thing in December against yeah. a terrible Florida State team. Uh, and they, don't have, a tri- they only even... have 
Yeah, I think they only have three other road games that they've played, and they lost all of them. They got killed by Iowa State in non-conference, and they just they have talent on paper. But I think this team was not very good last year, and it got worse because they lost Champagny, and yeah. they lost all of their shooters. Yeah. This team has no scoring ability in the half court, and quite frankly, do you want to let Devin Carter and Bryce Hopkins play in transition? If that's how if St. John's wants to play this game at that speed, I'll take that. And yeah, St. John's might score 80. Friars are going to score 100 if we play like that. I remember, Matt, great point. The game we played against them at Carneseca last year, they were letting us get whatever we wanted in transition. I think Horkler and Bynum were huge with transition threes. If they want to do that this year, go right, please go right ahead. Because yeah. we, we saw what happened when Marquette did it. You know, when, when you get our athletes... I'm not even going to call them players. When you get our athletes in transition, we are a very tough offense to beat, especially and when think, you have the steam train of Bryce Hopkins drive, like chugging down into the paint. Yeah. Yeah. And it's I mean, Noah Locke hitting threes. I don't even think we touched on it in the recap. So real quick, he had that three late off the offensive rebound, the in oh rhythm God. deep three that slid in. Amazing. He's hitting shots right now. Who's three, six from deep. Do you get that Noah Locke who's splashing? in transition with the other guys, you're going to have so much space to do stuff. And yeah, you, I'm sure St. John's is going to score. I'm sure this game is going to be competitive in stretches, oh, yeah. but it's one the Friars should win comfortably. I, I, they play I, their game. Given the state of, you know, where the Providence team is right now versus where St. John's is, you need to beat them. Like there, there's no if ends or buts about it. This is a must win in every sense of the word. This is a game that you cannot drop. With that said, I think St. John's will be competitive. They're going to play desperate. You know, they're going to come into this one thinking, all right, Providence is top dog in the conference right now. They're undefeated in conference play, just knocked off top four UConn. We want to beat them because that's going to help pick up our season. Like, we, we, we need to shut the door. We need to shut the door fast. It can yep. still be competitive if Providence is leading. Like, St. John's can still score and play well. But you need to you need to make this one over really soon if you're the Providence Friars. Yeah, they're, they're, St. John's comes into this one 107 in the net. So this actually is a quad three game at yes. the moment. And St. John's schedule to come. Let me just read you off St. John's schedule here and, and we'll go after that. <laughs> so they go to Providence. They host Butler next week. That's a very winnable game for them. Yeah, then they travel to UConn. They play Villanova. They travel to Creighton. They get they host Georgetown and Seton Hall after that, which is a pair of winnable games. But before we even get to those, they might be two and eight to start conference play. And that's your season's over at that point. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at the stretch right now. The Butler game is winnable. Depending on how things go, the Villanova game is winnable, but really it's not. And the Georgetown game, you know, you can chalk up the W on that one right now just because of the state of that program. But really, that'll get you to three and eight. Like that's, that's, yeah. yeah. This is so, yeah. You have to, you have to crush St. John's in this one, I think. And this is, if you want to set yourself apart right now, you look at the games last year where you go to Butler and you're without Al Durham and you have a, you have a rough time or you host DePaul on a Saturday night and you have a rough time. This can't be one of no. those. It, it can be, and you can still win and it'll be all right, but you're going to get penalized for playing a close game against a bad team. Yeah. The Friars are, are good enough to kill them. You should do, you should do to this team what you just did to DePaul and Butler on the road. When, uh, we finished our non-conference schedule, Matt. I forget which show this was, but I said Providence is entering conference play essentially with a blank resume. You know, you won the games in the out-of-conference schedule that you were supposed to win. You dropped ones against teams where at the end of the day, 
the committee isn't going to slap you on the wrist too hard for those because Miami and TCU are both highly ranked, really good teams. The St. Louis, you know, they're competitive. They're not as, as highly ranked as the, the other two, but that's still not a terrible loss. Mm-hmm. If you lose to St. John's, there's the blemish on the resume because now yeah. we go into conference play with a blank resume. Now we have a really good resume, you know, two top 25 ranked wins. You're undefeated in conference, play. you're doing it in the way that the analytics prefer. You're blowing teams out that you're supposed to. If you lose to St. John's at home, this is the blemish on your resume that drops you down a couple of seeds in March. And you might not be ranked because yeah. of it. But yeah. you beat this team, I think you should be a top 20 team. I'd have the Friars top 15 if you do what you should against St. John's. I don't think they'll be that high, but that's where I would yeah. have them just given the type of basketball they're playing right now. Agreed. We'll see what ends up happening. That'll be the noon game on FS1. That'll happen at the same time as the Creighton at UConn game, which is going to be nationally televised on Saturday. So just... Get your snacks now uh, or maybe order some food and just sit on the couch. And I don't know. I, you know what I'm going to do? I'm probably going to have the Friars game on the TV, the other one on my laptop, and just be watching both at the same time and enjoying it. because that, That's yeah. a great, great slate of basketball. Yeah, maybe I can have some tall boys for this game, but that, that, that UConn game. I <laughs> <laughs> no, 8.30 on a weeknight there on the road. Uh, for, I was on the road for you having to drive up. Yeah, that's no, I took I took the train up. Well, I mean, sorry. Driving oh, back. Well, yeah, same, same difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's going to do it for us on this one. I think we'll, we could probably do a show on Saturday after the game. Probably. Yeah. So we could do something then. Um, but for now, that's going to do it for us. That's Joe Howie. I am Matt St. Jean. Follow us on Twitter at the Flex Hoops, and we'll see you on Saturday. Go Friars.